Blog. Welcome to Truth About Trucking, live, hosted by Alan Smith, a 30-year OTR veteran, business entrepreneur, and motor carrier transportation consultant, specializing in assisting students and new drivers, and pushing forward to raise the standards of the trucking industry. And now, live from beautiful Citrus County, Florida, here's your host, Alan Smith. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Truth About Trucking Live right here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Alan Smith, and this is Monday, March 9, 2009, and what a show we have for you this evening. I'm glad you could join us as we are going to be discussing the Employee Free Choice Act, which would allow workers, not the company, the ability to form their own union. Uh, you're more than welcome to call in if you have any questions for our guest at the number 347826 9170. And our special guests are employment law attorney Eric B. Meyer, who will be sharing his thoughts on why this may not be such a good idea. And also with us is John Wojcik, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. If not, he'll straighten me out here in a minute. But John is the labor editor of People's Weekly World, which you can find at www.pww.org. And he is for the Employee Free Choice Act. And finally, we have with us a special guest, Damien, who is a 15-year trucking veteran and also likes the idea of workers being able to form union, but also believes that there needs to be some kind of restructuring of the act beforehand. So first, let me just say hello to each one of you individually to make sure we are all on the air and good to go. So, Eric, thanks for being on the show. How are you? Good, Alan. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad you're here. Now, you're out of Chicago. Do I have that right? Uh, incorrect. I'm out of Philadelphia. Philadelphia. I probably have everybody backwards here. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're here. And, John, same to you. And did I get your last name right? Uh, it's close enough. Wojcik is the uh, the correct pronunciation. Oh, man, I almost went that way, too. Okay. Okay. And, yeah. Now, now, and now I'm where out you? of Chicago. You're I'm out of Chicago. I'm the one that's out of Chicago, yeah. I knew somebody was, and I, I knew Chicago and Philadelphia. I just had them backwards. Yeah. Okay, and of course, Damien, I see you there. How are you, and thanks for being here. I'm fine today, Alan. Uh, everything's going good. How are you? I'm good. Now, it's hard to know where you're at because you're, you're probably over the road. Where are you calling from? Oh, I'm on top of uh, Mount Ashland uh, over here in Oregon. Oh, wow. You're a long way away from Florida. But I'm getting good reception. I'm on the top of the mountain. But, uh, yeah, 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 I hear you. You sound good. I can hear you fine. Well, it's my pleasure to have all of you here. I really appreciate it. And it uh, looks like we're all here, so we only have one hour, and I want everyone to get their equal say as much as possible. But I also let the show go with a type of open format, so everyone feel free to jump in at any time appropriately to comment, and, and then we'll let the others have the time to respond as well. So... Uh, first, Damien, I'd like to start with you because you played a big role in bringing this show together, and I appreciate all your effort. But you're a you're a veteran driver, 15 years, and like so many of us, just working, making ends meet. You're out there in the real world, so so let's kick this off. The Employee Free Choice Act. Your thoughts on it? What do you think? Well, I I think it can only help and not hurt specifically in the trucking industry for large trucking firms. Now, small companies, uh, they tend to pay more attention to their drivers. They may have a harder time getting drivers. But at the large corporations, uh, it's more like a turnover mill. And they use drivers. They abuse them. It's like a shovel load of coal in the furnace. Uh, they burn up to 15 minutes, and then they throw in another shovel. And what's developed is a nice little cozy symbiotic relationship that now these Drivers that are forced out now go into the uh, smaller companies, and then we have a new, a whole new crew coming in. And I used to also train for a couple large companies, and uh, I can tell you they're they're turning over the fleet at, at the rate of 100 percent. And you have very little voice. And if these cards for free choice were allowed to be placed in the uh, employees' uh, rest areas and uh, recreation areas. That would be like a gallop poll of what is bothering the employees that the company would pay attention to. Currently, they don't pay attention to it. They have a system where you can go through a series of management 
with the complaint, and at each level you get more and more people that you have to debate against, and it's basically never going to get fixed. Or if it does, it might be some small accommodation to you. So I think this can only help uh, the trucking industry, and I'm for it on that basis. I'm not saying that all unions are are good, but they're not all bad all the time, all the place. And uh, we need to reinvent unions, just like corporations reinvented themselves. And there's lots of corporations that are corrupt, pay off politicians, that bankrupt people, swindle people, but nobody advocates uh, doing away with corporations or the corporate system. So why, why should we do that with unions? We should work to improve them. We should pass this act. And we should see uh, what happens in terms of improving behavior at these uh, large corporations. So that's my opinion. Okay. Well, John, uh, I know I know you're for the act. So um, do, you, do you agree with any of that, or do you, do you just like it uh, how how it's being presented? Well, I think uh, I think Damon made some uh, some really very very good points. Uh, I feel uh, though that the Employee Free, Free Choice Act is really uh, essential uh, at this point because we have a situation where uh, collective bargaining uh, rights have been severely, severely eroded uh, over, for, for quite a while now, over the last 30 years very sharply, but even before that. And, uh, you know, the National Labor Relations Act, which was passed in the Great Depression, said it is the policy of the government of the United States to encourage collective bargaining. And that remains till today as the law of the land. The law of the land does not say it's the policy of the government of the United States to see to it that people are fired for exercising their right to form a union. The law does not say it's the policy of the U.S. government to harass workers, force them to attend mandatory anti-union propaganda sessions under penalty of firing. The law doesn't say that companies are allowed to ensure that people earn the lowest possible salaries, that they get no benefits, that they get no retirements. So, you know, the Employee Free Choice Act, though, has become necessary because since the law was changed in the Great Depression, uh, employers have come up with a thousand and one uh, ways to do the kinds of things that I, I, I just mentioned. And essentially, the Employee Free Choice Act is simply going to guarantee that workers get what they're already supposed to have, which is the right to collective uh, bargaining. Uh, now, in terms of uh, the, the law, many, many people have been saying, oh, it's going it's to take away the secret ballot. That's a lot of nonsense. Right now, there's two ways to form a union, either through an election or through secret ballot. But the companies make that choice. Uh, what the Employee Free Choice Act will do is restore things to the way they were before Taft-Hartley went into effect, and that is the workers are going to make that choice. Uh, you don't tell a, a wealthy millionaire whether or not he has permission to join a country club or a golf club. Uh, so really, uh, businesses have no business deciding whether workers want a union. That's up to them. That's not up to up to the company. We don't workers don't decide where companies invest their money. That workers don't decide to what countries companies export their jobs. Uh, they shouldn't be telling us what we want to do in terms of uh, in terms of forming a union. Uh, so I think, and then the third, and and I think one of the most the key argument for the Employee Free Choice Act is is the economic disaster that we've been brought to the brink of. Uh, this economic disaster that we're facing is the result of corporate uh, greed. It's the result of this unprecedented gap in wealth. Uh, the, uh, the average CEO in the United States is now making uh, more money in, in one day than the average worker makes in a year. It's that gap in wealth and that destruction of the ability of working people to, to have a decent income and buy things and purchase things that that's virtually crippled the whole economy. So the Employee Free Choice Act I also see as a key part of restoring uh, the, uh, the economy in the United States. Small businesses thrive in towns where there are a lot of union members. Small businesses wilt and die in places where there's no uh, union membership. So I see various reasons. I totally agree with what Damon said, but I would add some of those factors. 
Okay. Well, Eric, now, being an employment law attorney, I'm not, you know, an expert on all that, but now do you work on both sides? I mean, do you represent employers and employees in, a, in, a, in employment law? Well, I'll make the, I'll distinguish between, Alan, I'll distinguish between employment law and uh, labor law. Um, in the context of employment law, when we're talking mostly about discrimination matters or sexual harassment or the like, we, our firm generally represents employers. Um, we do represent a few employees on occasion, but generally we represent management in the labor context, which I'll call the union context, for lack of a better word. We represent, um, to my knowledge, exclusively employers. Now, in the interest of full disclosure as well, I, I, I'll tell you that I came to this firm having spent several, several years working with unions and representing unions. So I've been on both sides. Some say I've come over to see the light. Some say I've come over to the dark side. <laughs> so I have been on both sides. Well, so what, uh, what do you see uh, with this Employee Free Choice Act? I mean, um, any problems you have with it or see with it that it can cause? Yeah, I see several problems with the Employee Free Choice Act. And, and one point that I wanted to touch on that John said, um, he mentioned that under the uh, National Labor Relations Act that employees have the right to organize, the right to unionize. Well, the Taft-Hartley Amendment, the Taft-Hartley Act, um, which was passed, um, also says that employees have the right to be free and refrain from unionization. So while the Act does talk about encouraging collective bargaining, the Act is directed primarily towards employees and gives them the right to organize or to not organize. And I think under existing law right now, Alan, you have um, union, unionization is on the rise, uh, just went up a click this year, um, a significant gain for um, uh, the number of unionized employees, or about 12 point I believe 12.7% up from 12.4. I may have that slightly off. But it was a, a, a relatively significant rise in union membership this year. You also have unions winning a majority of the elections. Um, a lot of the advocates for the Employee Free Choice Act make it seem like um, places never get, uh, companies never get unionized. That's just not true. Uh, I think the most recent... Um, uh, uh, statistics indicate that over 60% of employee um, union elections are going in favor of the union. So employees do have the power to unionize. Am I going to sit here and tell you that every employer um, runs an election by the book and that there's never any intimidation or coercion? No, it, it probably does happen from time to time, hopefully rarely. But I, I would be surprised if a, if a uh, labor advocate could look you in the face and say if there's not persuasion or coercion on the other side as well. And the problem, uh, one of the main problems I see it with the Employee Free Choice Act is you're effectively taking away the secret ballot. Um, is it absolutely taking away the secret ballot? No. No. If, there are, if in a union organizing campaign, a union is able to get 30 per, between 30% and 50% of employees to sign a union authorization card, but not more than 50% plus one of the employees in a bargaining unit to sign a union authorization card, that union can ask for a secret ballot election. Now, in reality, that's never going to happen, because if a union can't get more than 50% of the employees to sign a card, what chance do they have at winning a secret ballot election? The AFL-CIO itself has admitted that generally it takes about 75% of employees in a bargaining unit to sign cards in order to have a pretty good chance at winning an election. And what you're doing here with this union, uh, with this card check, the first part of the uh, Employee Free Choice Act, is you're essentially taking away the right from an employee um, to vote in secret, just as you would in a civic election. So the union is going to know exactly how employees voted, whether they are in favor, I shouldn't even say voted, they, should, they will know which way um, someone is inclined to go, whether it's in favor of the union or not in favor of the union. Well, let me give you this analogy. I mentioned before that 75% of cards generally need to be signed for a union to win an election. Well, why is that? Why wouldn't a simple majority just do it? Well. Several employees sign cards not because they are in favor of the union, 
but because circumstances present themselves where they feel they may have to sign a card. Maybe they sign a card because they want to hear more about what it means to be unionized from both sides. They can hear it from the union. The union has their chance to make their pitch. And then they want to hear it from the employer during the, during the uh, election process. Or some employees feel pressured. Um, maybe it's not direct pressure from a union, but if a union comes into a, uh, a restaurant or what have you and there are a bunch of employees around and everyone's signing cards, maybe someone doesn't want to feel left out and they'll sign a card too, even though they don't really, aren't really in favor of unionization. Um, another problem is, is if uh, an employee doesn't sign a card, and then a union is brought in as the collective bargaining agent under card check, then the union is going to know that certain employees were not in favor of the union. Well, how does that bode well for employees going forward, those employees who weren't supporting the union? It's a dangerous situation, and that's why you need to guarantee the secret ballot so no one knows which way you voted. And if the yeah, union that's, that's comes in as the collective bargaining agent after a vote, no one's going to know which way you voted, whether you were pro-union or, or uh, against unionization. That's the yeah. first part. Yeah, that's, um, that's, the second part, and you feel free to cut me off if I'm going too far here, the second part of the Employee Free Choice Act talks about the collective bargaining process. And um, advocates of the Employee Free Choice Act contend that employers tend to drag their feet after a union is voted in as a collective bargaining agent for the employees, um, employers tend to drag their feet, that they don't negotiate a contract in good faith, that what they do is they, they, they give a union a list of dates when they're available to meet, and then when they meet, they're not prepared to address certain points, and the, and the process goes on and on and on and on until the union finally backs off. And all the while, during the collective bargaining process, the um, employees get paid the same wages and get paid the same benefits that they were getting before the, um, before the union was voted in as a collective bargaining agent. Well, that's not necessarily so. All employers do not drag their feet. I would say a minority of employers maybe drag their feet, and there are probably other circumstances which dictate that a contract is not going to be reached. Sometimes organized labor confuses bargaining, good faith bargaining, um, with dragging their feet. Just because a, an employer doesn't want to give in to a union's demand doesn't mean that they're not bargaining in good faith, and vice versa. If a union doesn't want to give in to an employer's demands, um, it doesn't mean they're not bargaining in good faith. And what the Employee Free Choice Act does is it puts a very shortened, constricted time frame on the amount of time that the two sides have to collectively bargain. If after 90 days, um, a collective bargaining agreement is not reached, and that's a very short period of time, either side can ask for a federal mediator to come in and try and bridge the gap. And if after 30 days the mediator can't get it done, then either side can ask for an arbitrator to come in to reach a contract. And that arbitrator's decision is binding. And there are a couple bad things about that. One is you're going to get an arbitrator who comes in who presumably doesn't really know the employer's business that well. They're going to have to pick it up on the fly. And, you know, while the arbitrator will probably do as best as he or she can, um, it's not likely that, uh, that the contract that's reached is going to be in the best interest of the employer or the employees for that matter. And another bad thing about the second step of the Employee Free Choice Act, this collective bargaining process, is that under existing law, employees have the right to vote on and ratify the terms and conditions of a collective bargaining agreement. Under the Employee Free Choice Act, if the matter goes to arbitration, the employees won't have that ability. And the employees are going to have a contract bestowed upon them, just like the employer is. So. The employer okay. may not make out well, and the employees may not make out well. And okay, the, let's see, let's get uh, John. What, what's your response on that? Yeah, well, and uh, uh, I, I think it's interesting that uh, that we have uh, the attorney, you know, expressing this incredible concern for uh, for, for democracy here. 
when he represents companies that wouldn't let workers probably decide where to put a w water cooler in the office uh, if if they had if they had their own way, look at the situation here. We don't have a the problem here. Is, the real problem here is not that in in terms of companies in the last year alone. In the last year alone, 25%, and these are absolutely rock-solid figures, 25% of the workplaces where there was a union organizing drive, people were illegally fired. Uh, the, the Center for Economic Policy Research has just came out a week ago with a really well-documented report on the incredible upsurge in illegal firings that have been taking place over the last two years. Now, th that biz the, the, the statement that, that the union is going to know, somebody is very much less likely, let, let's get real here, if a coworker comes up to you with a pledge card to sign and he has to come up to you with that card off-site around the corner uh, at the coffee shop three blocks from the, from, from the workplace because he can't uh, solicit and carry on his uh, pro-union activity at the workplace, you're going to be much less intimidated than by that than you are by a process that goes on for months and months, a so-called free election, where where you have to, you're forced to attend meetings by the employers. Seventy-five percent of them have forced mandatory meetings where the employees are herded into a room and spoken to, and it's discussed with them why they should why there shouldn't be a union. I was in front of a Walmart picketing with the United Food and Commercial Workers Union when they locked the entire workforce inside the store and canceled everybody's breaks, forbade anyone from even leaving the building should they possibly pass a union organizer out there. Uh, some of the workers were really terrified. It was only because there was somebody in that New Jersey town's mayor's office who was in that Walmart that they were that they actually forced them to unlock the uh, unlock the doors. But but people are not anywhere nearly nearly as intimidated by you know when when a coworker comes up and asks you please sign this. That's nothing compared to the full force of the company coming down against you in the so-called free elections. How about at Smithfield, where they stalled for, for 10 years, and when, when workers went to vote, this is the largest packing house in the country, workers went to vote, sheriff's deputies with sawed-off shotguns were lined up on both sides. The election is held on the company grounds, not in a neutral facility, two times during the so-called free elections, the electricity went out in the building, everybody was evacuated, and, and God knows what happened with the ballots during that period of time. We are not being real here. This is not just a question of, 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 of uh, who is going to look over your shoulder to see how you're going to vote. This is a question of people losing their jobs, people losing their livelihoods, being intimidated and frightened, uh, uh, you know, companies doing all kinds of things to, uh, to stop, you know, why, if, if everything is as the lawyer just said, that, every, that it goes so peacefully and most of the time the union wins, then why are they bothering fighting this thing all, at all? Just drop their whole campaign against the EFCA because really nothing, really it doesn't make that much of a difference anyway. And the companies really are interested in peace and coexistence and democracy, so why not let it pass? All of a sudden, they're so worried about democracy, I really don't believe it. And I really think the fact is now the majority of the American people don't believe it. We know the President of the United States doesn't believe it. We know the majority in the Congress doesn't believe it. And we know the majority in the Senate doesn't believe it. That's why they're so desperate and mounting a $300 million campaign, you know, all these committees, including the Right to Work for Less Committee, the rest of that whole cabal. Let's get real here. Well, Damien, uh, your your response, and then we'll we'll take some callers. We've got some callers on the line. Da Damien, what do you think about all that? Well, uh, if you look at the GOP, uh, when they negotiated this uh, treaty with Colombia, the union uh, leaders down there are being assassinated, and they wouldn't even support something as simple as don't assassinate union leaders. So, what does that tell you about? how they're going to support workers here. My wages are going down. There is no bargaining going on at my company. 
you know, I can tell you what everybody's going to make, on what schedule, when they're going to get their raise, and how they're going to get it, and what they got to do to get it. Right. Same with owner operators. You, you can, if if uh, Eric hired two thousand consultants, and he got them all at the exact same price, that would not be a free market because it's the same price, and he set the price. That's what happens at the trucking companies with owner operators. It's impossible that you would have no variation in, in pricing whatsoever. So there's, I can't negotiate with my company as an individual. It's impossible. I'm right. lucky I can negotiate not getting fired for violating various nitpicking rules and procedures that they, they throw at me all the time. That's about the only thing I can negotiate, let alone uh, a pay increase. I mean, they could afford to pay five cents a mile more, but I can't negotiate that. Nobody I talk to is authorized to do it. You can only uh, talk to the top person to get something like that. And I, I don't even come in contact with them. So how can I as an individual bargain for anything whatsoever? You know, the best I can hope for is to make a suggestion at the suggestion box and drop it in the suggestion box. And maybe a year or two later, if it's really good and it saves them money or something, uh, you know, they'll, they'll take me up on it. So I know I know a trucker who was told they would be fired, you know, if they even considered voting for a union. Well, I've, so, I've, and talked, I, I've talked to a few companies around here where I am, and uh, basically what they've told me is uh, if their employees got together to form a union, that they would just go ahead and just shut down their company. Now, whether or not they were talking, you know, who knows. But let, let's get a couple callers here. They've been holding on the line here. I'll call out your area code. That's your queue. So if you're calling from area code 760, uh, <laughs> go ahead. You're on the air. Oh, this is Desiree. I oh, are you, are you a caller or are you just listening? I was listening, but uh, I guess I'll say something. I didn't cut the tail end of anything, and I'd just say that um, I, I worked for um, some, you know, some of the things that he was saying about the intimidation factor in voting, and it doesn't really matter whether you're voting in unions or you're voting in political elections. I think the intimidation that they employ to people from making their real opinion by doing the sorts of things he was saying with the shutting off of the power of the Walmart and, and intimidating the employees. I've seen this kind of thing happen, and people that work in those industries, the election industry, know that it happens. It's part of the way you get things, but for one side or the other, is terrorizing uh, people that are afraid to speak up. And... Uh, that's the name of the game. Yeah, I, I think there's there, I think there's a lot of uh, be a lot of uh, fear among among uh, you know workers. I mean, it was interesting. Eric touched on the bases a minute ago, kind of that. Uh, uh, what about the people that feel like they have pressure? But uh, just just in January of '08, the auto workers union went to uh, the Toyota workers in Williamstown, Kentucky. But 80 percent of the workers voted no to a union. Uh, I don't know how all that will. Uh, you know, happen if this goes through, but I'll I'll just put you back there on hold. Thanks thanks for listening and calling. Got another caller here, then we'll get back to our guest. Area code seven seven three. Uh you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, yeah, this is Terry. And um I my understanding is reading the Employee Free Choice Act and everything, it that it gives the choice back to the workers whether to have an election or to go through card check. And this campaign that says, oh, it's taking away the secret ballot, to me, it's up to the workers to decide whether they want a secret ballot or, or card check. And besides, I think also the National Labor Relations Law of the land is to encourage collective bargaining. So I'm wondering if you that. Okay, sure. Well, appreciate your call. Who'd like to tackle that? I can respond to that, Alan. Okay. Terry, what the Employee Free Choice Act does is if there is an organizing campaign and 50% plus one member, that's more than 50% of the people in a bargaining unit sign cards, then the National Labor Relations Board must, the word is shall in the act, shall certify the union as the collective bargaining agent for the employees. 
So if more than half sign cards, the employees then can't turn around and say to the National Labor Relations Board, well, we still want to have a vote. That's not how it works under the Act. They are, the union is in. There is no opportunity there for a secret ballot. The only opportunity that there would be for a secret ballot is if more than 30% of the bargaining unit sign a union, or, a union cards or, and less than 50% sign, in which case those employees could ask for a secret ballot. But as I said earlier in the show, it's really unlikely that a union is going to want a secret ballot election with less than 50% of the cards signed because what does that say about your chances of winning a secret ballot election if you can't even get 50% support from the, uh, from the collective bargaining unit? So it effectively, it doesn't actually take away the secret ballot, but it effectively does. Okay. John, you uh, see it that way too? Now, uh, no, because if a large number of workers sign cards uh, that, that, that they, saying that they want union representation, and, and it's not clearly an overwhelming uh, majority, because first of all, it's difficult to reach everybody across three shifts in a particular place or whatever it might be. If it's not a clear, overwhelming majority, then, then the workers are in effect, not actually, but in effect saying, you know, the situation is that, that an election is, is a reasonable way of resolving it, giving people a chance to campaign. Uh, but campaign without harassment, the unions are saying, sure, we'll have the campaign. We'll hear both. We'll hear, but it's not going to be just on the company turf and not on their terms. Uh, it's not going to be with the sheriff's deputies invited in with sawed-off shotguns. You know, it's not the free. What 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 the gentleman is talking about is in, in terms of this is not the kind of free election that you and I are used to when we go and vote on election day. When we go and vote on election day, we vote in a public neutral place, a school, a church, or something like that. Theoretically, anyway. Uh, we don't go and vote at the headquarters of the uh, of the candidate uh, who who we're planning on not voting for. Uh, you know, it's an entirely entirely different thing. Alan, also on your question, uh, your question shows I think how the Employee Free Choice Act and how collect strengthening collective bargaining rights will benefit all workers, including workers who are not in unions. Uh, that situation you talked about, I think it was Kentucky. Uh -huh. with, with, with Toyota workers, uh, they had a situation where, uh, where the company there was paying them more than what unionized workers are getting in, uh, in Michigan. So naturally, naturally they're going to want to preserve that. But you could be sure, and it's already happening now with the foreign-owned auto companies down in Alabama, you could be sure that as soon as, uh, you know, if there were no union around, they wouldn't be doing that. A lot of companies, it happens here in Chicago, we have three, sec three centers where Comcast workers operate, and we have one that unionized. And now in the two non-union locations, the company's raised up the salaries and is paying more to the workers than it is at the union place. Uh, that, of course, is a way of keeping out the union. But it also shows how more and more unionization or increased collective bargaining rights are going to benefit workers outside of just those who are currently uh, unionized. Alan, if I could make a couple points okay. in response to that. Yeah, just now, Terry, did that answer your question, or are you uh, still confused? No, that's uh, that's pretty good. Thanks. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for calling. Uh, yeah, Eric, go ahead. Just a couple of points in, in response to that. Um, I believe John mentioned a statistic before that 25% of elections involve some form of employer intimidation. If I'm correct, if we're thinking of the same study, John, that was a study that was conducted at the University of Chicago, and the methodology employed talking to union organizers. So that's, that's where the, the information comes from. I've seen statistics based, I, I've seen studies based on National Labor Relations Board statistics, um, so that's the best source, which say that uh, less than 3% of union organizing campaigns end in an election that's overturned because of employer intimidation. Um, another, another point that gets lost here 
um, in the shuffle on the Employee Free Choice Act is that an employer may never know that a card check campaign is actually going on. And these card check campaigns can go on for a very long time. And without ever knowing, the uh, union may have, may get its 50% plus one card signed. And, we, and the employer and the employees, some of the employees may not know that a card check campaign is going on. And unions under the Employee Free Choice Act um, may decide to employ some tactics such as uh, cherry picking for employees, taking them one-on-one -on -one to try and get them to sign. I'm, I've heard stories, I'm not saying this is common, but I've heard stories where union organizers will go to employees' houses and refuse to leave until they sign a card. Um, some employees who sign cards can't even read the English language and don't know what they're signing. So uh, the great thing about a secret ballot election and I, I know John, he has said that the employers, it's like they, they put the employees in this, in this hot room and they, 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 they browbeat them into voting against the union. That's not the way it's done. That's not the way I've done it. When I've been involved in um, union campaigns, these employees are paid for their time when they go into these meetings with the employer. And the employer just speaks uh, speaks their side of the story. I mean, the, the employees get to hear it from unions as to why unionization is so good, and the employer gets to say their side of the story. And hopefully the employers do it in a, in a fair and legal manner. That's how I counsel my clients. I would never counsel one of my clients to break the law um, during a, a union organizing campaign. You know, so um, yeah. I think the fact that one of the big arguments is that employers are just harassing and intimidating, and I think that's just overplayed. That's the minority. That's, that's the exception and not the rule. Okay. John? Yeah, I worked for a, uh, a human services agency for uh, for a number of years. I was, before I was a meat cutter, I was an administrator for an agency that ran facilities for developmentally handicapped people, group homes and, uh, and day treatment centers. A uh, union organizing drive started. Now, you know, when I got hired by that agency, I thought it was strange. The entire workforce of the agency, that included those of us who were residence managers, all the direct care staff, I'm talking about thousands of people now in New York City, everybody had the same title. We were RM1s, RM2s, and RM3s. Direct care workers who were getting $8 and $7 an hour were RM3s, residence manager 3s. Uh, they did that so they didn't have to pay time and a half for overtime. Everybody got disgusted, so they wanted to form a union. They called those of us who were in administration in. I, I resigned. They wanted the dirt on people. Who do we know who drinks? This is the, this is the law firm that was hired to run the anti-union campaign. Who drinks? Does anybody, you know, smoke marijuana? Does anybody have this, that? You had to, they, they expected people to compile dirt on people's personal lives, everything else. Uh, who, who owes us a favor? This type of thing. Uh, people were forced into meetings every two weeks. There was a whole, a whole rigmarole there. So these are not, it's not normal for, uh, uh, this, these violations are very, very serious, and even if they don't happen in a majority of the cases, they happen in many, many, many cases. Illegal firings happen in many, many cases, and uh, people lose their jobs during these during these organizing drives. You know, the history in this country. You know, you cannot name for me one or two CEOs who were killed or murdered because of the position that they took vis-a-vis -a, -vis a union organizing drive. But there's a history in this country of workers losing their lives trying to organize unions. There was the Ludlow massacre. There was the, there was the Chicago Little Steel strike where workers having a picnic who were on strike were, were shot down. Uh, you have the, the history of violence against labor organizers and against union organizers exists in this country. We, the reverse is not true, you know. So, so you cannot just 
take this in an esoteric way and say we're talking about free ballots here. We're talking about people's livelihoods. We're talking about their ability to, to make a decent living, their ability to, to retire with a pension, their, rebuild, their ability to send their children to school. That's what, that's what all of this really means. And that is very, very much part of what the traditional American dream is. And that's what working people are, are fighting for here. You know, we, I don't think we can forget that. We can't just have a little debate over the mechanics of free elections here. We have to look at the fact that in the last eight years, worker productivity in this country went up 20%. That means that workers should be earning $10,000 more a year, the average family, but their wages went down $2,000. Why is that? That is because collective bargaining rights are under attack, and, and people's economic livelihood and their right to have a share of the wealth that they produce uh, is, is, is very, very much an issue of democracy and fairness. And, and none of his arguments uh, uh, address any of that. You know, we, we end up with, we follow his arguments to the logical conclusion, all jobs will be exported overseas for the cheapest possible labor, you know, and all the rest of us were supposed to be happy with no rights and no wages, you know, and then, and, uh, you know, and, and then we have, you know, that, that's where we'll end up if we just keep following that, that, that type of logic. And Damien, you're, this is probably falls right along in with the uh, kind of the restructuring like you were like to see, you know, to give yourself some bargaining power, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, what we have now is something akin to uh, corporate socialism here. No time and a half, no weekend pay, no, no night pay, no pay for about 20 hours of work and services that you do. Uh, you're living in a truck 24-7. Uh, I can't get home because uh, I have to follow unpaid company procedures, and it uses up all my time or my log time, so I have to spend more time on the road. You know, So what we have is um, something like corporate socialism, uh, if you ask me, and these CEOs, I know ours, uh, he owns a sports complex. Supposedly he's a free enterprise guy, but... He's probably taking uh, taxpayers' dollars from truckers who are going broke with these lease agreements that they get maneuvered into, helping to subsidize his stadium. So that's that's what we got going on here. Uh, we got CEO socialism, <laughs> and we got capitalism for the employees on the bottom, and 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 that's the problem. I say put the elections up on Twitter. Let's have a debate, and let that be the vote. Then everybody can see what everybody's talking about. Well, let me throw this out again because you touched on it a little bit earlier about the smaller trucking companies, and, you know, this is truth about trucking. So here's here's a thought, and like I said, you touched on it also a little bit a minute ago, and I'll get everybody's response. Seventeen minutes left. We're counting down here. But, um, you know, like I said earlier, small businesses are the backbone of the economy, so we'll look at trucking companies as small businesses uh you know, having one to 100 trucks. So if drivers could all come together and form a union wanting, let's say, 50 cents per mile instead of 35 cents per mile, couldn't couldn't this form a type of stranglehold on thousands of, of the smaller companies that just can't afford that type of higher pay and ultimately force the small business owner into insolvency? Do you see the possibility of that, anybody? Well, I'd like to address that. Okay. I wouldn't be for immediately asking for 50 cents, uh, per mile, I would be asking for permission to figure out a way to earn that 50 cents per mile by increasing profits and then taking our share as laborers out of that 50 cents per mile. Okay, so example, basically it's, uh, just, it's just part of the bargaining process. Well, it's part of the capitalist system process. You help your employer make profits, and then you are entitled to a share of those extra profits. What they do now, and what my uh, employer probably does, is he takes money out of this company to subsidize some other company he's working on. He has five or six. My low pay might be subsidizing some sports millionaire at one of his sports complexes. So I'd like to keep the money that our workers generate in this company, in this company, and going to us for, for ways, raises, not to uh, millionaire contracts who are also unionized, by the way. Ironically, they're unionized. 
they're doing great. Plus, they have agents, and they have a free market. And if you look at sports athletes, they don't all get paid the same. They get all paid wildly different amounts of money. But truckers get all paid exactly the same. Why is that? So I would ask Eric, is that a free market where everybody gets paid the same? Do all lawyers get paid the same? Uh, Eric, would you get paid the same as all the other lawyers in your uh, company? Uh, I, I do not get paid the same as far as I know as all the other lawyers in my company. A lot of it's based on uh, experience, seniority, ability. Uh, there are many factors that go into it. But one thing, John, if if I'm unhappy with what I'm making, I'm always free to go out there and test the market and see what other firms are paying. Uh, I'm not wedded to my job. I don't have a contract where I have to stay here. Um, if I wanted to look elsewhere, I certainly could do that, but I'm very happy where I am. Um, and, 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 you know, this segues into a, a point we're talking about um, getting employees more benefits and more, and more money. You know, that would be great if if the numbers bear out that way, but we're in a down economy right now, um, and under the Employee Free Choice Act, let's take, for example, a company that has two employees. You're paying each one $50 an hour. You have $100 per hour to spend. If an arbitrator comes in and says, I'm going to award a raise of 100% to each employee, well, that's great. The arbitrator can say that each employee is going to make $100 an hour now, but if the company doesn't have it, one of those employees is going to get fired. So just because, just because there may be some raises out there for employees under the Employee Free Choice Act doesn't mean that the, all the employees who are in the bargaining unit are going to keep their job. Um, and, that, well, and that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Well, uh, the, only guarantee, the only guarantee from unionization is that employers are going to have to pay uh, union dues. That's the only guarantee in unionization. Sometimes you get better wages and better benefits, but there's a sacrifice. It's a good faith bargaining process. It's a give and take. And when there's unionization, the slate is wiped clean, and the only guarantee is union dues. And in this economy, if there is arbitration, where an arbitrator awards something that's entirely unreasonable that a company can't afford, and there are going to be some employees that are real happy that they're getting big raises. There are going to be others that aren't so happy when they're reading about it on the unemployment line. It's the way it is. Okay, well, John, I'd, I'd like to get your response, though, to uh, yeah, like the, 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 the – well, go ahead. Yeah, well, well, first of all, fixing the economy is uh, is a multi-pronged thing. I mean, we're we're seeing it operating now on on a number of levels. Um, the the massive stimulus package that was passed, the 776 billion dollar stimulus package to create uh, jobs, particularly jobs that fix the infrastructure. All of these things are 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 very very important. Uh, but again. What's being ignored here is that if you look at the U.S. economy and you look at when we were really thriving, it very much goes on a trajectory that matches the degree to which uh, working people are organized and get a decent share of what they produce. At the end of the 20s, that share was very, very small. In the years that collective bargaining came into effect and the trade union movement grew rapidly in this country, we saw a tremendous increase in purchasing power of workers, the creation of the so-called middle class, uh, which was the best stimulus that the economy could possibly have. And then when we see the opposite happening, when we see unionization went way up, and the, the percentage of, of, of unionization way up, to, it's close to, to a third or more in the price. Now when we see it all the way down to 12% uh, or, you know, or, or even lower, depending on where you're, if, if you're in private industry, 8%, uh, we see the opposite situation. The economy went off the cliff and, and, and fell into the abyss because of this totally unconscionable gap in wealth. You had a few people at the top. I, I talked about those. The CEOs are just one, one piece of it, the ones who earn in a day what workers earn in, in, in a year and more, uh, running away with the money. Literally, they took the money and ran, and they put it wherever they, they, they lost it. Uh, you know, they get bailed out with taxpayer funds 
when they screw up their businesses. That doesn't happen. If a union screws up its finances and, and messes things up, nobody, the government doesn't bail it out, you know, but the, these other people get bailed out. We need to end that. We need to change that situation, and, and I think that that's beginning to happen now with, the, with this election. I think the American people have realized it, and I think that that is going to be... Now, it, it's correct. This is not going to be fixed overnight, you know, and there are going to be situations where, where we, we still have a long, hard road to go. But uh, but it's not going to be. We could have all the stimulus packages in the world, but if we create seven dollar an hour Walmart jobs with those stimulus packages, we're not going right. to fix this economy. We have right. to create good paying manufacturing, green jobs on a massive scale with union wages. You know the plan that that the, that uh, the lawyer is talking about doesn't work. They did that in New Orleans. What a disgrace that European cities destroyed after World War II could be fixed in a couple of years. Every, and then they, what did they do in New Orleans? They tried every right-wing non-union scheme available, uh, imaginable, and, and the city is still uh, a, a damn uh, disaster area. You know, they eliminated Davis-Bacon, they eliminated wage guarantees, they hired, they gave the federal money to contractors who hired non-union laborers. They made a disaster. The city, they didn't even, they were not even able to fix the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the dikes, the, the, the whole uh, situation there to, to protect the city. Uh, you know, they privatized the schools. It's now the worst, worst school system in the country. They did. Uh, they created a disaster. New Orleans was like a little glimpse of what they would have done to the whole country had the people not won the victory that they did in this last uh, uh, election nationally. Well, there's no doubt that it's, the country's in a mess. I mean, I think we still have a long way to go, but uh, that that's certainly uh, certainly something we'll just have to ride out and see. I mean, do you, do you believe that uh, it's a good thing what they're doing with General Motors? just off the cuff here, to bailing them out and everything? Well, again, when these bailouts happen, they have to be in exchange for, uh, you know, promises. When you bail out a big bank or you bail out some big insurance company, there have to be some public guarantees in exchange. You know, if the government is going to take 80% of the stake in a, in a big corporation, I believe then that there that means that means public democratic public control and that profits have to be used for for the benefit of the public or that the taxpayers have to be paid back. You know, it, it's not just a question of the kind of bailout that Bush gave in the last part of his administration where they don't even know where that money went. And actually, I could tell you where some of it went. You realize that some of, the, some of those AIG and even bank bailouts went into sessions where executives used that money to plan how they were going to fight the Employee Free Choice Act. Imagine that. The taxes paid by a worker who doesn't have the right to, to collective bargaining being used by these people who squandered our money to plan how they're going to defeat uh, any moves by workers to form uh, form unions, you know this is this is just an outrage, and and we need to stop it. Well, we could um, we could go on probably for several hours, but we're almost out of time. Seven minutes remaining. Uh, any any last response from anyone? Eric, Damian, anybody? Uh, I think I, I think I've said all that, I, that 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 I've had to say on on the act. Um, I think that none of the three prongs, and we didn't really touch on the last prong, which is a one-sided sanction employers who violate the act and levy heavy penalties against employers who commit unfair labor practices while there's no penalty for any unions to do the same thing. Um, I think none of the three portions or three parts of the Employee Free Choice Act make sense. None of them are needed. Um, I think the proof is in the pudding that unionization uh, is now once again on the rise, that employees do have the right and do exercise that right to become unionized. If that's what employees want to do, then more power to them. They can elect to have a union as their collective bargaining agent, and well over 50% of union elections are ending that way. Once I go into my voting booth and pull that curtain, it is just like a civic election. No one's going to know. It doesn't matter where I vote doesn't matter who's out in the hallway. Once I go in that voting booth and pull the curtain, 
No one's going to know how I vote. So that's the great thing about a secret ballot election. That's how we elect our, our president and our, our congressman, and that's how um, the National Labor Relations Board, um, they say it over and over and over again in their decisions. That's the best way to, um, to decide whether a union should be a collective bargaining representative for its employees. Okay, so, Damien. Damien, fi final thoughts? Okay, final thoughts. Let's see here. Well, um, I would say that unions would be a check on corporate power, greed, and abuse, and that this is uh, similar to our uh, founding fathers' principles that they base the Constitution on, which is checks and balances. Without checks and balances, inevitably, you're going to have abuse. So look what happened when uh, the regulators gave the ball to the uh, corporate executives. No checks and balances. They did whatever they wanted. They bankrupted the whole world. You know. So that's why I say that unions can be a force for good in watching over corporations. Teamsters did an investigation of my employer. They published a paper on it. I sent letters to the SEC. He got caught for insider stock trading. He had to resign for a while, and then later he bought back the company. And several other complaints I filed produced amazing results in the attitude toward the employees. We now have big screen TVs and big comfy lounge chairs and all the driver's uh, uh, recreation areas. They still don't give us more pay, but they are treating us nicer. But we need to take the next step, and the next step is to be a check on power, to reinvent them so you help increase profits, but you also have a stake in those increased profits. And that's a guiding principle. That's freedom of uh, speech. That's uh, freedom of association. That's the freedom to uh, help your employer make money. And also, if you help make it, you've earned it, and you should get a piece of it. Okay. Well, well said. Well, we're almost out of time. Great show, great information. Eric, John, Damien, thank you all for coming on the show and uh, sharing your expertise in this matter. I, I really appreciate it. Alan, thanks thank for having you. us. And thanks okay, for thank having you. us. Yeah. All right. Thank you again, and good luck to all of you, and have a great week ahead, okay? You do the thank same, you, sir. All Maybe right. So, uh, thank you. So there you are. What do you think? You've heard the pros, and you've heard the cons. And let me get these off all here where we can talk. All our lines were full, so if you tried to call in, I apologize for that. They were just all booked. But, so what do you think? Like I said, you've heard the pros and the cons. What about it? Should uh, should employees have the authority to form a union? And you'll have to just make up your own mind. And keep track of our upcoming shows at blogtalkradio.com forward slash truthabouttrucking. And I'll be po posting uh, more shows on there very soon. And uh, sign up for our free newsletter at truthabouttrucking.com, and you will always be up to date on what we are doing around here. And thanks to everyone for listening and our callers. I really appreciate it. Look forward to uh, visiting with you again in the near future. And everyone in the chat room, I had brought it up there earlier. Thank you all for being here. And so until next time, for Truth About Trucking Live, I'm Alan Smith. Drive safe, and as always, thanks for listening. Well, back in Oklahoma, where I come from, is a jumping little place where they know how to have fun. Where the men are men, they love the red, white, and blue, and it's right in the country of OSU. Well, every Friday night, you can find them there, running and a gun and round the tables and chairs. It's a jumping little Cowboy.
Yeah. 